Um, I just commit this morning to you, um, and Father, I pray um, that whatever you want me to say, I would say, and Father, whatever I've written that has no value, Father, I pray I wouldn't even bother saying it, um, in Jesus' name, amen. Um, okay, so I'm going to have to put my glasses halfway down so I can actually see what I've written um, and also see you. So the title is, actually, we need to move um, and complete your mission. Um, I've been listening to this song over and over, um, and we sing, we need a move. Um, in my spirit, I feel God saying, I need my people to move. I need my people who are called by my name to start to move in power, to start to make inroads into territory taken by the enemy, to take back the ground that the enemy has stolen, to take back the ground in family life, to take back the ground in education, in the media, in every aspect of life. Because in fact, the church has been inactive for too long. And we need to wake up. We need to revive it ourselves and move in power, directed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because God is looking for a people who are serious in their intentions and what they are committed to doing for his name's sake. A people who will remain steadfast despite circumstances and external forces, who actually believe that God is able to do what he says he can do and will remain steadfast until they, until they see a change in their circumstances, until they see a change in the nation. Um, I can personally testify that God is more than able to do what he says he will do. My dad's 88, who's sat in his seat. Um, Satan has had so many plans and intentions for my, for my dad's life. Um, and tw nearly 29 years ago, he tried to take his own life. But God had other plans. And God is more than able. And that's why he's still sat in his seat there today. And I want to give God the glory for that today. Because where the enemy tried to steal from me, God gave it back to me. Hannah's had a granddad. My children have all had the benefit of an amazing grandfather. Not just any grandfather, but an amazing grandfather who understands that he has a purpose and a mission to fulfill. And God would say to each one of us sat here today, if you're still breathing, then you have a mission. And that includes you, you're still breathing. You have a mission to complete while you're here on this earth. So the church needs to rise up. We also need to understand the hour that we're living in. Complacency has to go, and the church needs to understand the seriousness of the hour we're living in. And what we do, and I know Ian's spoken about this, it has eternal significance for those that we meet. It isn't something that's short-lasting. It stands forever. For those we have impact with, for our family members, our neighbours, what we do, the impact that we have has eternal significance. And we need to move away from the notion that everything's temporary. Situations constantly changing and nothing appears to have any lasting significance. For the people of God, what we do has significance for eternity and has an eternal impact on those we meet. Too often the church, and that's me and you, 
have been guilty of looking up. We look to the heavens and wait for God to move in the circumstance we see around us when God is waiting for us, his people, to move and use everything that he has given us to fulfill the purposes he has given us to fulfill. And we need to understand that God works in partnership with us, his children. And there are things that won't get done if we don't rise up and take responsibility for the things, the unique things that God has entrusted us to do. And we need to push aside this idea that somehow it will get done. It doesn't matter if we don't do what God's calling us to do. And it's a life of obedience. And let me just say it isn't easy for me to stand here holding this microphone. My eldest daughter's come, and I'm not sure whether she's come to heckle or support, but I guess we'll find out soon. And when we sang that song, there's nowhere else I'd rather be. Actually, I'd rather be at the dentist. And if you ask Hannah, that's somewhere that I'm not overly fond of going to. So you have an idea. But obedience is a word that doesn't seem very popular anymore. People have removed it from their wedding vows. However, for us, as children of God, it's a command. And it states in the Bible that obedience is better than sacrifice. It illustrates how important it is. If we are to complete the mission that God has given us, we have to do by living a life laid down in obedience to what God has called us to do. When God calls us out of our comfort zone, we declare, not our will, but yours, Lord. And it's a period of over 18 months now where God's been just pushing me and pushing me out of where I feel comfortable, where I feel quite confident in doing the things that I'm doing. And it's a peculiar time for me because I'm not quite sure where God's actually leading me to. Um, but I'm just being obedient and doing what he's asked me to do. Um, but that's what he expects from each one of us. Um, obedience is a sign of love. If you truly love someone, you are more likely to do as they ask you. Sacrifice, in this context, is a result of pushing your own will. You know what God has said, and instead of doing it, you go ahead and do your own will. And then we sort of come and try to bribe him with a gift. Um, and because I'm quite a visual person, I actually imagine sometimes that God has given each one of us a mission to do. And I can almost see the angels saying, what are they doing? Why are they not moving? Why are they still sitting asking you to do things when you've already given them everything that they actually need to fulfill the purposes. They, they're absolutely baffled because they can't understand why we don't get the gifts, the anointings, the ability that God has poured into each one of us. And a bit of a shocker today is if you're still waiting to receive something, it's not coming, it's already come. God's deposited in you every single thing that you need in order to accomplish the race. We've all got a different race, but you are not lacking anything because God has already given it to you. 
It's not going to come by Royal Mail in two days' time. It's already here. And a few weeks ago, Ian brought a word about it's not time to plump the pillows. <laughs> and after thinking about this statement, I think we all understood that plumping pillows is something that we do in order to just get a little bit more comfortable so that we can lie back and feel comfortable in bed. We arrange the pillows so that we're in a nice, comfortable resting position. And I think most of us can actually see that it's blatantly obvious we're not living in a time where the church can be seen to be in a resting position. However, it's exactly where many preachers feel that the church are currently at and where the church has actually been for too long. And the consequences of the church in a state of complacency, I think, is easy to see. We've had laws pushed through Parliament that are anti-God. Stuff going on in education, as most of you know. I work in Berry College, and most of the time I have to be very careful about what I say because there's so much confusion around gender and he, she, they, we... Nobody knows anymore, and we're seeing a generation of children that are a lost identity children because they're told it doesn't matter. You don't have to identify with he. You don't have to identify with she. It doesn't matter, but that's contrary to what God says because God says that he made you male or female. You're not a mixture. You're not a confusion. He made you either male or female, and the children, the children of God, but they don't recognize their identity because they're lost in a world that tells them it's okay. But what puzzles me, if it's so okay, then why are so many people killing themselves so young? It's great, you can do what you want, and yet mental health statistics are ever on the incline. In Ezekiel... Verse 2230, it says in the Amplified Version, I searched for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the sake of the land, that I would not destroy it, but I found no one, not even one. And in Ezekiel, God looked for a man and there wasn't one. Each one of us is called to be a person who stands in the gap. We should be standing in the gap for our neighbours, for our family members who are not yet saved, for the people we work with who have been called to stand in the gap, plead on behalf of those who don't yet know the Lord so that the judgment doesn't fall on those who aren't saved yet. And a personal testimony for me is my grandmother was 87 when she died and boy did we have some arguments about heaven and Christianity in general, because her philosophy was that if there was a heaven, it would already be full up anyway, and there, was no, there would be no room for her. And we used to have these quite fiery arguments about Christianity. Um, however, I made it my mission to stand in the gap for my grandmother because I didn't want her 
to go somewhere where I didn't know where she was going to. And in her 87th year, she fell and she ended up in hospital. Um, and during the time in hospital, she had a psychosis that was brought on by the stress of being moved out of her environment. Um, and I still spoke to her and I still prayed and said, God, look, the time is short. Um, and then a day before she died, um, they treated the psychosis and she came back to her normal self. And she said to me when I went to see her, I now understand what you were trying to tell me. I understand what you were saying about Jesus and who he is. And a day later, she had a massive heart attack and she never regained consciousness, but I knew where she was going. And we need... I have family members who aren't saved. And when I'm saying what I'm saying, believe you me, I understand what Ian says when... God gives you a plate to eat yourself. I'm not just delivering a plate to you. It's a plate that I'm eating. It's how serious are you when you pray for your brother about being saved who doesn't know me? Where is he going to go if he dies today? I've got lots of family members. My eldest daughter is still not saved. <laughs> We don't know how much time those people have. Um, and it's good to remember those who stood in the gap for us. Um, for me, it was my Auntie Beryl, who's my dad's sister, who in my rebellious years, when I was living in Italy and living the high life, um, took it upon herself to pray and pray and pray until she saw me come through to salvation. Um, and, you know, I obviously will be forever in gratitude that she stood in the gap on my behalf. And sometimes we don't always like to be in the gap. It's not comfortable. It can be painful. Sometimes it even costs us to be there. Um, but it's the place that God's called us to be. Um, and... Apologies to my home group, because you've already heard this story, but some months ago, um, God speaks to me in dreams. Um, I'm a visual person, and that's how he often communicates with me. And in my dream, I was just in a building, going about doing my own business. And suddenly, a gunman ran into the building and started firing just randomly at people in there. And my first thought was not, oh, how many people can I save? It was, you need to get out of here really quickly, just run. And so that was exactly what I did. I wasn't remotely bothered about the people who were all around me. And I just ran as fast as I could to the door. And it was only when I got to the door and turned back that I saw these people again. And the people that had looked pretty much like you all do sat here today suddenly had no legs or they had no arms and they were completely helpless. And then I woke up and over a period of days, God spoke to me and said, it was never about you, Suzanne. It's not about how comfortable you are in Berry College. 
It's about the people who are the walking wounded. It's about those who are helpless because they don't have me. So they can't change their circumstances. They're trapped in what appears to them to be hopeless circumstances. That's why you have to stand in the gap where I placed you because you are, you know, I am working through you. Um, so it was never, because sometimes I think we get a little bit carried away that God's really interested in how comfortable we are and whether it's all going really rosy. But actually what God's concerned about is saving the lost. It's about ministering to those who have nothing. Um, and I meet lots and lots of students, of lecturers who don't have much going on in life. And over time, I've seen actually it's a privilege that students will come and open up and they'll share some of their life with me. Um, and because of the walk that I've had, I've, I've been through anxiety, I've been through depression, I've been through fear. I'm able to say to them, this isn't how it's always going to be. Um, and they can never say to me, you don't know, because I do know. I know what it's like to be trapped in a house and not be able to even get out the front door because the fear that was in my life was overwhelming. But God set me free from that fear. And so he's done different things for each one of us. Um, and all God asks is that we take what he's given to us and share it with those who don't actually have anything. So, so for many times, we seem to be waiting for God to move. And actually, he's waiting for us to move into the destiny that he purposed for us before time began. And for me, it's an unbelievable thought that actually before time began, God purposed a destiny for each and every one of us that sat here today. And we need to understand that that mission is unique to us. I can't fulfill your mission, and you can't fulfill the mission that God's given me because it's a unique mission. And we need to understand that God's given us unique giftings um, so that he's able to use us where he's actually placed us. So if each one of us has an individual mission, then what's stopping us from fulfilling the mission that God's given to us? Why are we not moving into the destiny that God has purposed for us? So some of this I've already really said, that we're waiting for the enabling, the gifting, but we've already got it. So I suppose my encouragement to you today is stop waiting for God to move and just you move into the purposes that God has for you. And if they're not that clear, just make one step forwards and God will direct you. You're not going to know the whole path. Time and time again, God said to me, just take one step. You can't see the whole journey. Just you move out and do that one step and I will direct you. But we want the whole picture. We want to see it all. But that doesn't involve any trust or faith in God. Because if we could see the whole picture, it would be quite easy to just move out, wouldn't it? There'd be no risk. 
Um, and in 2 Peter 1 verse 3, in the New Living Translation, it says, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. So if you didn't believe me, it's in the Bible. God has already given you everything that you actually need. For some of you, it might be fear that stops you from moving forwards, but fear will always paralyze and prevent action from going forwards. Fear paralyzes, but faith mobilizes. So you can actually see that they're two completely different actions. And fear will always prevent you from moving into the purposes of God, whereas faith will propel you forwards into your mission with God. And fear, it actually indicates a lack of trust in God. Because if we trust in God, then what are we actually afraid of? Um, because God, as we've sang today will never, ever let us down. He's never, ever let me down. And if I could just take the opportunity to speak while I've got the microphone, I'm not overly keen on the song that says he hasn't ever let us down yet, because yet is a modifying, for, and I really don't like that word, because the God I serves has never let me down, won't ever let me down, is never, ever going to let me down. Um, Okay. If we stay in the realm of fear, then we're not going to complete the mission that we've been given. And there's a solemn warning in the Bible that faith in itself is not enough and states quite categorically that faith without works is dead, which suggests that to have a faith that is living, that is active, that is the opposite of dead, has to involve works and outgoing of the faith that is evident in the person. Therefore, it would seem impossible to have faith and not actually be active. So the faith we possess compels us to take actions and demonstrate the faith that we have, which is evident in the things that we do. So in James 2, 14 to 17, it says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have words? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also, faith by itself, it does not have work, if it does not have words, is dead. And over the past 18 months or so, the word that I keep hearing is about running the race run the race that's set before you and we all have a different race to run and Stacy Risa when she spoke she spoke about the pace of the race matters it matters how quickly we're running and we've all had different times in our lives I know I've had times where I've been sat on the track I've been completely off the track however it matters because if we're not running at the pace that God set for us, then that would suggest there's going to be things that we don't achieve in our lifetime. So 
It's not about, well, I'm running the race. We need to be running the race as quickly and as if our very lives depend upon it because other people's lives will depend on it. Um, and I don't know about you, but I don't want to have missed any of the opportunities that God's given to me and the people that he's put in my path. And I know one person definitely sat over there who her heart's desire when she dies is for God to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I think none of us want to hear, well, actually, Suzanne, this is what I had for you to do. And this is what you actually managed to achieve because it's going to be too late then. So it's just about being diligent in our seeking the Lord out and understanding the race that we need to be running. And we need to have an understanding of the urgency of the hour. And I found a poem um, when I was doing some preparation for this. And I hope you don't think it's too maudlin, but I just really, and I'm only gonna read you the last verse, but it, it is entitled, It Is Later Than You Think. And it's Robert W. Service. And the last verse says, Lastly, you who read, I you, who this very line may scan, think of all you plan to do. Have you done the best you can? See the tavern lights are low, blacks are night, and how you shrink. God, and it's time to go. Ah, the clock is always slow. It is later than you think. Sadly, later than you think. Far, far later than you think. And for me, God's just really impressed on my spirit. I think we can all see the world outside. And I believe it's much, much later than we think. And God is stirring his church up to say, stand up, rise up and take every single thing that I've given to you and just be the people that I've called you to be. Stop making excuses for why you haven't done the things that I've entrusted to you because there's always going to be distraction. There's always going to be a reason why we can't do it. And I just set my focus on, on Jesus who understood exactly what his purpose was. And it says in the Bible that he set his face like flint. And I just pray that we would be a people who would set our faces like flint, that we wouldn't be distracted by the trivial of what's around us, that we'd understand the significance of who we are and what God's actually entrusted to us. Because the thing that we need to remember is... God works in partnership with his people. We are his hands, we are his feet. He's seated on the throne and he can move sovereignly how he chooses to move. But how he's actually arranged things is that we as people would rise up and actually do the things that he's calling us to do. So in conclusion, I think the word sacrifice isn't particularly a word that we really are overly fond with. Um, 
but sometimes it, it does us good to remember that we've been bought at a price. And if we've been bought at a price, then we don't have any rights. So when I moan and say, I'm not having a good day at Berry College, I'm really bored of this, I don't actually have any right to do that because that's where God's placed me. And when I was thinking about coming and preaching today, I really didn't want to do it. Um, and I don't know why I ever enter into these like dialogues with God because he always trumps me every time. And he just said to me, I sent my son. I sent my son for you. And so what am I supposed to say? There's nothing I can say to that, is there? Because God did give the ultimate sacrifice for us. He sent his only son that we would be bought back, that we would have life and an abundant life because the life I had before I found God, I was a broken mess. And God picked me up because he saw something in me and he sees something in each one of us because the world had chewed me up and spat me out and I didn't actually have much value of myself at all. But God did. And he said, you're my daughter, I love you. Um, and God took a number of years in bringing around a restoration and it's not perfect yet. I'm sure Hannah would confirm that. Am I perfect? No, no. okay. <laughs> so in 1 Corinthians 6.20, it says, for you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirits, which are God's. Sometimes there's a cost. In fact, there's always, almost always, a cost in fulfilling the mission that we've been given to complete. However, when we consider that Jesus paid the ultimate price to redeem us back, then we don't really have a choice. And John 16, verse 33, which we all know, in the world you have tribulation and distress and suffering but be courageous, be confident, be undaunted, be filled with joy. So if it says be filled with joy, despite all the circumstances, then that speaks to me of a God who in him we are always overcomers, despite the external circumstances. And we can walk through the shadow of the valley of death. But I think the important thing is that, the, that we walk through and we keep walking. We don't decide to take camp in that valley because God's not into pity parties. And God says, I said to walk through, not to sit down and light a fire. So jog on and move through because in me you're more than able. And so as I just try and bring this all to a close... Um, Gillian and myself attended some training a few weeks ago um, and I just think the questions that were posed to us on this course really are the questions that we need to have a definitive answer for to make sure that we complete the mission to make sure that we fulfill the purposes and they're just four questions and the first one is whose am I? So once we understand whose we are, that gives us our identity and our security in God. The second one is, why am I here? So that's, what is my mission? What has God got for me that is unique to me? 
what has God got for Peter that is unique to Peter. The third one is, what am I doing now? Am I actually making inroads into what God's called me into? Am I actually moving forwards? Like I said, sometimes we're taking the first few steps, but it, it's the intention and the deliberate intention of seeking after the things of God that God's looking for. It's what am I doing now? And is that actually moving me towards the end goal? And then the very final question is where am I going? So what is that ultimate destination? And I think that if we have the answers to those questions, if we know whose we are, why we're here, what we're doing now, and where we're actually going to, where our end destination is, then we can run the race. We can run the race with confidence because we know that God is more than able and that we're able to complete what he's asked us to do.